0: Good morning, everyone, and glad that we can be together wherever you're tuning in with us today and worshiping with us. In Psalm 1, it concludes with these words, God charts the road you take. I've been sitting in that space for several months now, grateful for that promise that God charts The road you take. And some of you might be in a place where you just feel like you need a new road. You're not quite sure what direction um, you're supposed to be going in your life. And just remember, God charts the road that you take. We're not alone, He's with us in it, and He's with us charting roads, even in terms of our relationships. And it's been a good and meaningful series for me personally. I trust it is for you too. I've been getting some fun feedback from a number of you. I gave the assignment last week. How did you do? to um, practice the eye checks, where you look into the eyes of the one that you care about for a minimum of nine seconds. My, my encouragement was try to shoot for 30 seconds. And I got a call from uh, a friend who said, okay, I did the nine second eye check one. And I said, well, how did it go for you? He said, it was awkward to say the least. I go, well, did you speak while you were looking into her eyes? And he said, I, you didn't say I could do that. So I go, okay. Okay, I'm not, this isn't a game like you played when you were kids as a staring game. It's not that. It's being able to discern, to lock eyes, to be able to see what's going inside through a person because eyes are the window to the soul. But hey, they did it and I pray it'll be a practice that they grow in as well. I brought a photo with me today of a chair, really exciting image for you to take a look at. This is a Mediterranean chair, leather wrapped. It was my father's. And uh, with his passing, my brother got the set of chairs. But all of us love these chairs. And okay, I'm okay that my brother has them. <laughs> we all wanted these chairs. My brother got it. And I asked him if he could send me a picture. So he sends me a picture. And that's a, you can hardly see it there, but that's my dad in a picture um, on the corner. He threw into the backdrop there just so I could feel like my dad was watching me while I was speaking this morning, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. But these chairs are beautiful, and he's... Um, kind of repairing them and getting them all cleaned up. And on the top of the chairs are these structural finials. And when I was there visiting him, I noticed that they're cracked, they're broken, and they need to be repaired. I said, I can fix them. After all, I'd love to go to Ace Hardware or Home Improvement Store. Don't you love to go there? You just walk around and I'm gonna intend to repair something by going there? I I love going, I think, because I think I'm gonna get stuff done, like, to paint, or to stain, or to build something, or in this case, to maybe fix the uh, finials um, that my brother had for me. So usually when I get home, I'm kind of motivated and energized, and so I wanna jump right into it, but then other times, I set down the products that I've just purchased on the shelf in the garage, and I make my way into the house and say, "Uh, not now, maybe (laughs) soon. So anyways, I went to ACE, I got the products to repair these broken finials, and I got home, pulled into the garage, and I set them on the, the shelf in the garage. And it was one of those days I went into the home and said, not now. It was three months ago. And so I'm trying to get there soon enough. And I think about coming into this place where I come out of the, the garage now, and I'm, I'm getting into my car, and I see these finials are sitting on the shelf every time I leave. So I'm going, oh, yeah, I, I'll get to that. And now, because it's been almost three months, I'm thinking, I, I've got guilt. I'm starting to feel a tinge of guilt because it's been so long, and my brother has topless chairs. <laughs> <laughs> he should not have topless chairs. So I said, I know he's thinking about me. My brother, what a jerk. Where is he? What, he said he would do this. No, he, he loves me, and um, I maybe should not have volunteered. But the point is, still not repaired, The problem is that application makes all the difference. You think about that, a a bucket of paint isn't gonna make your house look better until that lid comes off and you put that brush in and you start the journey. Those chairs are not gonna look better until I take and fix these finials and we can put them right back on top of the chair. And so it is the same with relationships. Our relationships won't be healthy um, unless we invest into them. That application makes all the difference. And this series is to inspire us to move into that place of applying some bonds that really make a difference toward healthy relationships. And if you're a guest, this is the third of a seven-week series on relationship. Our goal is really to provide a context where we better understand what makes relationships work well. And then what do we do to intentionally nurture those relationships? And I really want to sprinkle in a lot of hope through relying on the presence of God through faith in Christ. It makes sense all the difference as we move forward. And in fact, um, we're, we're inspired by the series by Dr. John Van Epp, who wrote this model called RAM, the Relationship Attachment Model. There are five bonds that start with knowing and then the, it, it works its way through the other bonds. And we're paying attention to this as a GPS, that the five bonds gives us a common language, our whole church is going through this right now, and that the uh, GPS helps us to currently define where our relationship is, and then help us take a next step forward. And that's my prayer, is that God will chart your path and your relationship forward. Last week we talked about knowing and the three T's of knowing, time, talk, and togetherness. Today, I'm gonna talk about trust. Next week, I'm very excited to come and speak around relying, which is those abilities, those habits, those actions that are real practical. It's a real practical message next week on what it means to depend on the one whom you trust and know. And then commitment is about degrees of loyalty and how we ebb and flow from those and then ultimately we'll end with touch. I reminded you last week that these do deflate. That even in the best of relationships, they deflate, they need to be lifted up again. We just don't want it to. Go flat because then it's harder to move into that arena. Well, today's message is on the bond of trust. So let's start with a good definition here that I think gives us a compass moving forward. Trust is the feeling of confidence that comes from what you think of someone. I'll just sit with that for a moment. The confidence comes not directly from the person alone, but rather from what you think about the person. In other words, the feeling of trust comes from a mental picture that you have of people. What I called a few weeks ago the trust picture. We all have a trust picture of people. You have mental images of everyone that you know. And when you put that person in front of you, you probably have a trust picture for some that is very, very high. And you're going to rely on them and commit to them in a different kind of way. And for others, you have a trust picture that is very, very low. But the point is, trust is essential for healthy relationships. And the intentionality of building trust is part of the call for today's message. If someone says to you, will you just trust me? Have you ever heard anybody say that to you? Uh, What is your inclination to just trust them? Will you just trust me? Um, we're, we're slow to the gate on that kind of trust. And there's a reason for this as well. It just doesn't work that way. And it's because neuroscientists are telling us that our brain and our entire nervous system Um, it does something. When we come into a space, we are wired to scan the space and the environment and the people in the environment and to ask one question over and against others. And it almost happens subconsciously. And the question is, is it safe? Are you safe? Some of you are guests here today. And you've come in and you're sensing, is this a safe environment for me to be in? Are these people safe? Um, that are around me, that are here in this given place. The answer to that one question shapes the trust picture that you have of people. And it will either cause you to move toward someone or move away from them. And so when we trust, we will move toward a person. When we don't trust, we're gonna find ourselves moving away from a person. So to illustrate this, I actually wanna take a story of friendship that we find in Matthew's gospel related to Matthew himself. He wrote this very gospel. And it's a story that, quite honestly, has shaped my trust picture of God and Jesus Christ. It's one of the anchor stories of the Bible for me personally, and it's shaped as well how I lead from Westwood, I have a number of these stories from Scripture that give me a frame of reference in terms of how I want to lead and live my life as the pastor of this church. And you'll see that in a few moments. It starts in Matthew 9.9, 9, this story. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. The simplicity of what we read there is really quite profound. For some context, Matthew is Jewish, a tax collector, which means he would take money from the people of God and give it to the Roman government. And oftentimes, as we find in many cultures today, because there's not enough money coming from the government for some of these jobs, he would skim off the top. And so people view um, the tax collectors and Matthew with a very low trust picture. He doesn't even know Jesus. Jesus is somebody that he's heard about. He's got a reputation, but let's say this. He knows enough about the reputation of Jesus, it's really positive from his vantage point, that he's willing to give some amount of trust. There is a trust picture to the end that he says, okay, I'll follow you, and that's exactly what he does. The point is Jesus wants Matthew to trust him, I mean, Way here, but he doesn't start there. He knows it's going to be an incremental building of trust that's about to take place. And we find that Jesus um, is similar in terms of his desire for us. He wants us to trust him. That is to invest everything about who we are into the relationship with him. He wants this from Matthew. And so Matthew begins the journey. He actually trusts him enough to follow him at this given moment. And so we want people to trust us. We want them to move toward us. We want them to invest in our lives, their mind, their energy, their attention. We want this from people in so many different kinds of ways and expressions because trust fuels investment. So when they're willing to invest, usually it's because they trust us in that given place. It's just for people to invest in you, you must deliver on trust, but not just once, again and again and again. And so the question becomes how? What moves people toward us and what causes people to move away from us? And what allows us to build trust or rebuild it because sometimes we're recalibrating along the way. Well, research shows us that there are generally five qualities that comprise um, those who are really trusted well, that those who set an example of that's the kind of person I would trust, they tend to live out five qualities. I wanna walk through these five qualities that build trust for you today. And it starts with understanding, then intent, then it moves to ability, and then character and track record. We're gonna take a look at all five, but I'm gonna spend most of my time on the first one. So I just want to say that so you don't panic when you realize, wow, he's got four more to go. Hi, <laughs> hey, want, I want to do other things today too, but you know, you're glad you're here though, right? I mean, we're in it, let's learn together about how to build trust. First of all, trust is built through understanding. If you understand me, if you get me, then trust tends to get built. That is, you're gonna be leaning toward moving toward me. That's one phase of it. If what you understand about me and get me causes you to even meet some of my needs, you're gonna take another step toward me, and trust is gonna build even further. My point in this is to say, we are wise not to try to persuade people to trust us with words or whatever, but we are wiser to try to understand people where they're at And then take that next step and actually meet needs of people where they're at. Trust will rise when we fall into that rhythm. And it requires active listening. That means listening without an agenda, which is harder than we think because we usually bring an agenda, or listening without um, being ready to give the answer. When they're speaking to you and you go, can you be done because I have an answer I want to give to you? Have (laughs) you ever seen that kind of experience before? No, this is active listening. It requires a suspending, which takes us into deeper listening. And deeper listening is about curiosity curiosity about who you are and why do you think what you think how are you wired up it's that curiosity that helps us to understand a person who they are their needs which are usually different than my own and then the decision whether i'm going to move into um, their given arena and actually meet some of those needs my friends If you're getting to know someone and they are totally clueless about you or neutral about you or not interested in your needs at all because they're having a party talking about themselves. Have you been in that kind of room before where somebody's just so self-absorbed with their own deal that it's like I'm not even, I'm there, they're talking to me, but it's like I don't exist. Are you gonna move toward that person or away from that person? Yeah, that's an interactive question. You can speak out loud, it's okay. Are you going to move toward that person or away from that person? You're going to move away. But if they stop and take notice of you, and you can just feel that they're sincerely interested in you, are you going to move toward that person or away? You're going to move toward. You're, you're going to, when you feel understood, there's something that motivates us in that um, neuroscience scan of the environment that says, I want to know you. I'm going to move in your given direction. So back to Matthew. Jesus understood Matthew. Now, Matthew didn't know how much Jesus understood him, but he understood him. And he doesn't try to persuade Matthew that he is trustworthy. He just says, first level of trust building, follow me. And he invites him in that given direction. I love this story. I love the story partly because there's humor. You may think it's odd humor. Ancient humor is kind of hard to translate sometimes into the English idiom today. But I love this passage because here they are and here's the tax collector and Jesus says, come, follow me. Guy gets up and he follows him. And you know what Matthew's thinking. It's not told to us in the scripture. Matthew's thinking, where are we going? And he's following. I can just see him a step behind Jesus. Where are we going? Where are we going? And... We find out. The scene opens up. I love this. this It's verse 9. Actually, it's verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. I love this. Where are we going? Where are we going? Where are we going? We're going to your house. Because Jesus doesn't have a house, so they're going to go there, and his friends are there as well. Jesus is very purposeful with what he's doing in this storyline along the way, and we find here that in the picture of Matthew, and just again a little bit more context, so you can feel a little weight because it's hard for us when we think about tax collectors, we think of, you know, organizations and all of that, but this is. Uh, Tax collectors were despised. They were just absolutely despised. How dare they take from the people of God to give to the Roman government? And so they're isolated. They're alienated. They're outcast. And they come to the house, and Matthew is hanging out with whom? Tax collectors and sinners, just like himself. Why? Because they understand each other. They meet each other's need. Oh, we, we need to be understood. And we'll hang with people who understand us. And this is what's happening. So the thought in Matthew's mind that Jesus would want to come to my house and have dinner with us, which, by the way, isn't a drive through experience like McDonald's. I mean, dinner in this time and place is like ours. I mean, you're eating and talking and laughing and getting to know each other. And all of a sudden, he's getting to know Jesus. And his trust ratio is starting to rise, that Jesus would hang out with us when nobody will have anything to do with us. Matthew's feeling understood by Jesus. And when you feel understood, you feel known. And one of your greatest needs is to know and to be known. And when you communicate that, trust gets built, and you move toward the person, not away. See, Jesus knows Matthew, but you got the takeaway. Jesus knows you, and he knows your need. He knows some of you are just stinking hurt today in a big way. He sees it. He's here. He wants to help. He wants you to know you can have trust in him. So getting to this place of understanding, he gets to know all things. For us, it's more learned behavior. So the question is, how do we step into that? Last week, I said when it comes to talking with each other, I wanted to give a little bit more than I had time last week. And I want to reference this book. I want to encourage you to pick it up. It's called Getting the Love You Want, A Guide for Couples. Introduced to it first in, um, in the 1980s, Carrie and I <laughs> Well, it dates myself, doesn't it? Uh, and it's, it includes in this book, it, it, um, you know, the whole book, I, I don't know, there's a couple's dialogue in the book is what I'm recommending for you. And that you would get it because it's a way that you could go into the deeper end of the pool. And Carrie and I are starting to practice this now pretty frequently. And I'm gonna use this analogy. You know, we've been married 40 years now. And you know, you get comfortable with each other in 40 years. So it's easy to stay in the shallow end of the pool. But there are deep things that are happening in our lives that require us to go to the deep end of the pool, but it seems like the boy is in the way from keeping us to go to the deep end of the pool. So we're lifting the boy in this season of our life. We're in the third third of our life. So it's causing us to think deeply about questions. By the way, I'm not leaving or anything, I'm just saying we're in the third third of our life. And we're thinking it's a different third than the other two thirds of our life. And we have to be really intentional and go into the deep side. But the skill set to do that, we need some help. Even though we've been married all of these years, so we've gone back to something we were introduced to in our premarital days called couple dialogue. It's not just about having a conversation. Let's sit down and have a talk. No, this is when you're at a place needing to go to the deep end. It might be just like, wow, our life has changed so much. What does that mean going forward? Or you might be upset about something. Or it might be a touchy subject. Go, I don't even know how to raise this, but it's important that I raise it. So a couple dialogue, I don't have the time. In fact, I wanted to invite Carrie. She's here this hour with me to come and do a couple's dialogue so you could see how we're doing it together. And I have asked her hundreds of times to come and do this with me, and she has successfully said no every time. But would you ever like to hear Carrie come up and speak with me along the way? It's happening. This just became accountable in the public sphere. Thanks for that, you guys. I appreciate it so much. But let me just at least give you the summation of it with the hope that you would pick it up. And it's awkward at the front end, but once you start to do it, it starts to feel more like breathing. I'll go, oh, you have to to start it because it's different than an everyday conversation. And you have to come up with your own word. You can have fun with it, too. You could say, you know, let's have a CD, a couple's dialogue. Or let's just have a couple's dialogue. Let's have a splash dialogue, whatever you want to call it. And it begins with a very simple expression. If I say, yeah, I can do that, but not now, or no, I just can't get to it here. We have a, it's a three-day rule. So the fact that it came up, it has to be spoken of. We have to go to the deep end. So then we have a three-day rule. Can't go past three days without getting into it. So now we're carving out time to intentionally move into that. And it involves three different phases to it that opens up with the question along the way that if Carrie says to me, I want to to go deep onto this given subject. So let me tell you the three expressions. It's mirroring, um, validating, and empathizing. Mirroring is simply to reflect back. She begins the conversation. I want to talk about this. And then she puts words to it. I respond by mirroring and say, if I hear you right, this is what I understand. Am I correct? And she corrects it or adds to it until we just follow the layers. Now we're into the deep end of the pool, and my last question of her is, is there more? So in the recent expressions of this, every time that we've done it, every time that we've done it, did I say every time that we've done it? There's more. There's always more. One layer all of a sudden allows me to go, okay, I'll go here and I'll go here because you're creating a trust place to be able to go deep on this matter. And then you move to validating, which is to simply say, let me see if I got all of that. That makes sense to me because of this or that you're validating. We need to be validated in the journey. And then you go to empathizing where you actually reach into the feelings. I can understand why you feel that way. Now we're in a place of intimacy, of soul connection that's far from the shallow end. It's to the deep end. It's a discipline. And it's worthy discipline to allow your relationships to grow over time. I told you, the first point would take me some time. But the others, let's jump into them. Number two, trust is built through knowing intent. That is to say, people will trust you when they know your intent. What's specifically about the intent? The intent that you are for them. You wanna build trust? Make it clear that you are for the person. And this goes way past not being against them, by the way. I think about that when my daughters were first dating boys in high school and I would greet them you know, with a really warm greeting, like, what's your intention here? <laughs> it's like, they weren't feeling like I was for them in the moment, but really, I was. Knowing you are for them means that you are looking out for them, for their best interests, that you want the very best in their journey, that they feel like you have their back, so knowing that your intent is for them, honestly, it's like jet fuel for all relationships, whether they be work relationships or personal relationships. Now, tell me if you don't agree with this. If somebody verbally tells you, I am for you, what does it do for you? It's like, oh, there's a lift. There's an energy that comes with it, and for relationships to grow, we need to know that people are indeed for us. And that's what we have here, this beautiful picture of Matthew um, having dinner with Jesus, and he's having a moment, and I can just almost picture him going, wow, this Jesus guy, he's for me. He seems to understand me. He's just hanging. We're laughing together. We're enjoying this conversation, and his trust is rising in that given experience because that trust is coming through being, having one who's for me. Who understands me? Now, with the same breath, there are those spiritual leaders who are not for Matthew and not for Jesus, and they have question about Jesus' intent. It's verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, what does your teacher, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, why is he doing that? What is his intention in doing that? They are not for the tax collectors, they are not for the sinners, and they are not for Jesus, which is clearly obvious, and they think Jesus is endorsing Matthew's choices and his lifestyle, and so we find Jesus is moving towards sinners and tax collectors. And the Pharisees, the righteous ones, are moving away from them. I wanna say something I think is really important in relationships. Jesus is not endorsing Matthew's choices or lifestyle. He's saying to Matthew, I get you. I understand you. Um, I see your need. I can meet your need. So I'm for you. He shows up and he's present to that given end. And that's my relationship point. The people you care about um, want to know that you are for them and we get pressed in because some people make choices in their lives that make us think, I wanna move away from you. I don't want you to think that I'm endorsing you but just because you're present does not mean you're endorsing their lifestyle or their choices. Can I say that really clearly? It's to say that I care about you and I want the best for you and I want to be present with you and you can already, your mind is spinning around the different scenarios by which you're given, put in that place I think the question practically is, do your children, does your friend, does the person you're dating, does the spouse that's in your life know that you are for them? Last week, I gave the nine-second eye check um, assignment. Today, I'm going to give you fill-in-the-blank assignment with the one that you love or care for. I see that you are for me because or when. I see that you are for me when. When you go and have lunch today, just put that question. I see that you are for me when. Validate, lay down that foundation that we are indeed for each other. Third, trust is built through ability. Oof, this one gets interesting because to have trust, you have to demonstrate the ability that you know what to do to meet the need. Right now, I got a bum knee. I'm, I'm bone on bone in my right knee. And I was with my orthopedic knowing that someday, into the long horizon, I'm gonna have to deal with this thing. But I'm in pain quite often in my right knee. So we meet together, and let me tell you about this orthopedic doc that I have. He, is, he understands me, he gets me. He knows what the pain is like. He's for me. He wants the best for me. I don't have any question about any of that. Does that mean I trust him to say, go ahead, do a surgery on me? Not necessarily, because if he says, wow, this is really a fascinating knee problem that you have, and I'd be glad to do the surgery. I've just never done it before, but I'd be glad for you to be the first person I'm going to do it on. (laughs) And if that scenario plays out, am I moving toward or away Away, I'm running as fast as I can at that point. And the the reality is I, I trust and I trust him. I just need to know that he has the ability to perform the surgery in a way that I'm going to be happy with when it's all said and done. So trust gets built when someone demonstrates the ability to understand you and then to meet the need. We see Jesus actually showing this amazing ability, and this is the marker to my heart, and to Westwood's journey. I pray that we will always be known for the ability that Jesus shows here in this given passage, verse 12. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. Just stop. Wow. Go and learn what this means. And who is he speaking to? Let me finish here. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous but the sinners, and he's speaking to the Pharisees, quite honestly, some of the brightest people who walk the face of the earth. They know God's word, they know what's right. They are not to be corrected because everybody comes to them for all of the answers of all things, but he says, what I'm about to show you is not natural to you. Go and learn what this means, and I think that's the equation in relationships. It's a learning experience. Go and learn what this means. And what is the ability? The ability is to demonstrate mercy with those that are closest to us. And mercy is the good that you bring to a relationship when sometimes there's no grounds for you to do anything good. And so you walk away from as the Pharisees rather than to. Jesus walks toward the sinners and the tax collectors and he says, I get you, I understand you, I am for you, and I have the resources to meet your need right where you're at. This is mercy. Could we stamp that name on Westwood Church? Maybe it should be Westwood Mercy Church. May we be that kind of church that we meet people right where they are, just as Jesus is doing here, and we extend goodness and help to those who we may not think merited, but if you step into it personally, this is where I'm at. I was met with mercy. So were you. If you know the love of God, it's because the mercy of Jesus said to you, Joel, I know you. I get you. I understand you. And your needs, they're real. I'm going to meet them. And I welcomed that, and I followed him. He changed the trajectory of all of my life. Every facet of my life is different because of this. This is what Jesus does to us. Friends, relationships need mercy, a compassionate love that goes the extra mile, that seeks to understand, to say, I'm gonna be there for you when you fall short, and we're gonna bring goodness into the scenario. Next week, I'm gonna talk about relying. You could tell I can just keep going on this one. I'm gonna talk about specific Um, Abilities that really help us build um, relationship and trust and relationship. But I got to keep moving. Next one, fourth, is trust is built through character. That is, we all know that character counts, but What builds trust goes way past the character of the expected, of honesty and of integrity. Obviously that's the case. So if you've fallen short in a relationship, things are going south in the relationship. If you've cheated, these become common sense kind of character issues and you're gonna be in a place of rebuilding. There's no other choice or it's all over with so you step into it. That's not what I'm speaking here about character because the absence of those traits does not equal trust. Trust requires more. To trust someone, we are scanning also to see if their particular character traits are relevant to the context that we need to entrust them in that given moment. Let me just use a couple examples. We want for a Navy SEAL to be honest, but not just honest, also courageous. We want for a nurse to not just have skills, but to have compassion. We want for our leaders not just to stay calm in the midst of a crisis, but to persevere through the obstacles of the crisis. When we meet with an advisor, we don't want somebody who's just going to be objective, we're gonna want somebody who's going to bring wisdom to the scenario. So to engender trust, we want to demonstrate the kind of character needed for the context you're asking for the trust to be lived out. When Carrie and I were first dating, her parents, she she's an amazing family. I love her family so much. She, she grew up in a nuclear family, a put-together family. I love my family so much, but my family is a broken family. My parents divorced at 10, and her parents were used to nuclear families, and there was a question, a concern for Carrie about connecting with me. Is he the kind of guy who has the character qualities to know how to be a husband in a nuclear setting or to be a father to children? I myself had the questions. The role modeling wasn't exactly premier. But, I come to faith. And the standard of how, no matter what the context is, you bring character, gets laid out for us in Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. The mindset isn't my own. If I just bring my own, I'm in trouble, but the mindset is Jesus Christ. It's not one of ambition, it's one of humility. It's not one of selfishness, it's one of looking to the interest of the others. It's not our natural inclination, he makes it our natural inclination as we abide in him and grow in trust and get to know who he is and we rely, he begins to give us the resources to move in that direction. So I'm grateful to say we've been married for 40 plus years. And I'm grateful to say I've been able to father my children, not perfectly, but with love and the love of Jesus Christ. This is the context that the Lord gives to us. And then fifth and finally, trust is built through a track record. And I think you know this. Jesus even said so. Whoever can be trusted with the little can be trusted with very much. So you'll be given a little, and if you're trusted, you do more, you do more. And so we apply that in our relationships as well. We trust someone based on the last time. What did they do the last time? Did they follow through? Did they connect the dots? Did they do what they said that they were going to do? A person will trust you, friends, not based on what you say you're going to do, but on what you actually do. Let me state it in another way. We trust ourselves on our intention. People trust us on our behavior. Our intentions are high. We really want to do this. But connecting our want to to our will to do it is the battle zone. And people will discern our track record by what we actually do. So notice I said track record. It means over time, repeatedly. The most effective relationships are those that um, seek to get right the little things and the cumulative effect over time allows us to trust. And if you have that pattern of Building that trust when you fall short, because we all fall short, we all make mistakes along the way, it doesn't dent the trust picture so much because you've shown consistency. But if your pattern is not of consistency and you consistently don't follow through or do what you say you're going to do, it's gonna impact the trust picture and the health of the relationship. So do the hard work of application. Do more than simply say, trust me. Instead, seek to understand. Have good intent to say, I am for you. Demonstrate the ability, not just to understand, but to meet the need. Show the character that shows the mindset of Christ It's so much greater than the one we could bring unto ourselves. And then, build a track record over time of consistency. These five things will build trust in business relationships as well as your personal relationships. And then, Just a note before I pray, we wrap up and go about Matthew, of Matthew. Over this journey, this journey of building trust, he gets to know Jesus for who he truly is. He's all in, and he trusts Jesus with his everything. He invests his whole life into the purposes that the Lord has for him. He relies on him for direction and the places that the Lord would want him to go and who he wants him to become. He commits by being loyal to him as the Lord has been loyal to Matthew himself, and this is what's amazing. Jesus allows the touch of his own hand to be demonstrated through Matthew, who becomes this apostle, this missionary, who brings the gospel to these different lands. It's believed that he died um, later in life, a martyr in Ethiopia, bringing the gospel there. He was faithful to the Lord, and the Lord was faithful to him, and trust got built, and God was blessed. He was helped in those relationships, and we with him. So we trust on the basis of what we know, and I invite you to stand, and I invite us to close in a time of just a prayer before we head out and say, thank you, God, for this beautiful truth. So Father God, thank you for the gift of, of life that comes through Jesus Christ, and thank you for understanding us and being for us Your intent is always to be for us, not against us. And then to actually step in and meet our needs with a character of God himself with a track record that never fails. And so, Lord, might we be like Matthew, you know, building that trust with you over time, being faithful to you as you have been faithful to us. Grow us in our trust relationships. And I pray, Father, that the road that you chart for us would give us confidence of a promise that we are not alone. I ask that to Jesus' and for your glory. Amen.